You're listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Sioux Falls Startup Stories. I'm super excited about this week because we have a very, very special guest. I actually had the opportunity to sit down with Matthew Paulson. Now, if that name isn't familiar to you, it really, really should be. Matt is a very vocal and active in the local entrepreneurial scene. He manages the website SiouxFalls.eco, um, which hosts a ton of resources, articles, and event information uh, about entrepreneurship in our area. He actually built the website. He runs it. Uh, he also runs the, the Facebook group, um, which is called Startup Sioux Falls. Uh, he's been the chair. He actually started and then chaired the local angel fund uh, called Falls Angel Fund. He's just been super active in the Rotary, and he's one of the main organizers for One Million Cups. And to put it plainly, he's just been super active in our community, and he's done a ton of stuff that you might not even hear about. He works a lot uh, behind the scenes. And he also is the main sponsor of this podcast, too. So big shout out to him. I was super excited to be able to sit down with him and talk about his stuff. But all of those things that I mentioned that that he's done or, or has been doing in his past, that's not even his main business. His main business, that's called Market Beat. But it wasn't always called that. Uh, so my name is Matt Paulson. I uh, grew up in Mitchell, went to Dakota State for computer science, and got a Christian leadership degree from Sioux Falls Seminary. Um, so I'm, I guess, guess kind of an academic. I did teach at DSU. Uh, certainly a Christian, uh, but I'm, I've been an entrepreneur as long as I can remember. Uh, when I was in third and fourth grade, I would go around to the city parks and collect aluminum cans and turn them in for the scrap price. So I'd make, make five, ten bucks a week doing that. I'd ride around on my bike and uh, collect whatever I could from, from the baseball games and turn it in and, and had a nice little job then. Then in, in middle school, kind of seventh and eighth grade, I made a little website about uh, SimCity 2000 and other games made by Maxis. Uh, I think it was called the, the SimWeb was, was the name of the website and free hosting account. And I put some ads on there and you know, I was probably making 25, 50 bucks a month for that for a few years. And I kind of took a break in high school to, to be a kid and um, participate in high school debate and do all that stuff. But then I kind of got back into, uh, into web stuff in, in college and um, I decided to make a personal finance blog and that was called American Consumer News, which is why the name of my company is still American Consumer News. But I was really into the Dave Ramsey stuff, wrote about personal finance topics, wrote about some tricks I had learned. And um, 2007 was the first year of that I made maybe 15, 20 grand. 2008 was the second year that I made like 60 grand as a senior in college from a, from a personal finance blog because there were so many p- different people that wanted to buy ads on a website. It's just the money piled up really quick, uh, which was really cool. <laughs> the money piled up really quick. Isn't that something we all wish we could say? Now, if you haven't gotten the impression by now, you can tell that Matt is a pretty smart dude. Now, he was building websites as a kid and majored in computer science, which is not an easy course load. Matt says, you got to be wired for it. And I'd say that, Matt, you're wired just right. you got to be just crazy enough to do computer science and just think in a really logical manner and I don't know. Some people are, are designed for it, some people aren't and um, I just had a lot of fun with it and making stuff that out of, out of nothing and computer, you know, lines of code to do something useful. I just found fun, found it very enjoyable and I still do today. So for Matt, 
writing code and computer science courses, they seem to come easy for him. And I've taken a couple intermediate computer science classes before, and I've just, I've gotten through them, but it's never been a very easy process for me to grasp. But for Matt, just writing code and programming, it's a pretty natural transition for him. Yes and no. The, the basic programming stuff did. Um, like the 400-level classes, like operating systems, where you design an operating system from the ground up. Um, some of that stuff kicked my butt. And, I mean, I, I, I couldn't do it today if I wanted to. But, you know, I can still write code. I still do write code every day. And, um, you know, I, I push as much to get to our GitHub account as my two developers do. And I just enjoy doing it. And, you know, I'll get a crazy idea every now and then and pull out Visual Studio and write the code just because I, I want to do it. And it's, uh, it's fun for me. So if you've never visited marketbeat.com, you'll see this just isn't a regular personal finance blog anymore. It's transformed into a rather sizable platform that has dynamic graphs of stocks and tons of analytics. Uh, he even has custom software that he wrote a long time ago that writes and pushes much of the content for him. He called it Native Language Translator or something like that. And at this point, I'm looking at Matt like he just lives in the Matrix and he's just all green numbers of just binary ones and zeros. But before writing code and getting into software development, what type of job would suit a guy like Matt in college? Yeah, I had a job at McDonald's my freshman year because I applied at like 10 different places and that was the only place they called me back. And I thought, uh, I mean, I think everybody should work at a job at McDonald's like once just because that'll motivate you to not want to work there again. Um, but I, I kind of knew for my sophomore year, you know, I need a different plan than this. Um, I do not want to be cooking fries again next year. Um, so I did get a job at the college, which was really cool. I was a technology fellowship and paid really well, but, um, you know, that covered tuition, but, you know, that's really all it covered. So I wanted to do something else that would throw off some cash in addition to that. And, um, you know, in college, you know, some people think that it's difficult. I kind of felt it was kind of easy. And I had a lot of free time in college because really I had no obligations other than showing up to classes and doing some assignments and well, McDonald's is certainly a respectable job for sure, but Matt definitely knew that there was more to life than fries and Big Macs. So he started writing about personal finance. Of all the things a computer science major would write about in college, let alone turn that into a multi-million dollar business, he really chose personal finance. Does computer science and personal finance even overlap? They don't. I mean, it was, I, mean, I was doing the Dave Ramsey thing at the time. Uh, my goal was to graduate without student loans, which I did, and um, I was not a good personal finance person up until then. Um, I spent all the money I made as soon as I would get it, and um, I kind of realized, like, you know, I was scraping by just to make tuition, and I thought, you know, there's got to be a better, you know, I'm smart enough to figure this out. I need to figure this out, and, you know, Dave Ramsey's thing is all about motivation and um, encouraging you to change your behavior, and um, you know, I, I went all in on that, and I thought, well, this is awesome, I, c I can do this. And I thought, well, I might as well write about what I'm learning, because I'm really excited about it. It's a topic uh, I, I want to learn about, what I want to just get educated about and writing about it is a good way, good way to do that. So by his senior year, this little personal finance blog was making about sixty grand a year. We're talking this was barely 10 years ago. Now, that's pretty decent income, especially as a senior in college. And his overhead was next to nothing. So Matt saw this opportunity and went all in on this endeavor after college. 
Oh, wait. That's not what he did. It was a side thing for a long time. Um, it took me a long time to own the word entrepreneur. Uh, it wasn't really until I quit my day job in 2012 that I would identify myself and introduce myself as an entrepreneur. And it's really the, the classic imposter, imposter syndrome that I'm sure you hear from every one of your guests. Is, it's like, yes, I've got this side thing going, but it's not really a full-time business. It's just this thing I do on the side. Really, I'm this college student that's going to be a web developer. And Well, this little thing that Matt was doing on the side after graduation in 2008, it was making about 15000 more a year than the average American today. And it was growing like wildfire each and every year. Yeah, it was about sixty grand, and in 2010, it got over 100 That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And I know, but like, it's great money, but you think it's going to go away. Like, you think you're about 30 days from just going away forever because... I mean, it's all Google traffic, and, you know, they could change the algorithm at any moment and, you know, your business is just gone. So, like, I just didn't see it as a sustainable income. It's like, this is great while it lasts, it's not going to last forever. I found this so interesting about Matt, and where he's at today is so vastly different from where he was then. But eventually, though, he figured out how to make this little side thing he had going into something a little more sustainable. 2010, uh, one of the Google algorithms... Um, really hurt a lot of personal finance blogs, including myself. It was the original, they call it the Panda update. Um, but a lot of people that had a whole lot of content with you know, what Google perceived to be not a lot of depth got, got hit really hard. And you know, my site was one of those. And uh, it wasn't soon after that that there was, uh, you know, we saw an opportunity in, the, in their kind of the personal finance, uh, or not personal finance, but the investing space uh, to write about publicly traded companies because. During the recession, everybody was worried whether or not you know the banks would go out of existence, and we started writing about what was going on with like Citibank and Wells Fargo and Bank of America, and we got a lot of traffic on those articles. So I thought, you know, if I'm doing well writing about bank stocks, maybe we can write about some other stocks, and it, it worked really well. But you know, you also kind of know that you know getting getting the, the nice free traffic from Google is great while it lasts, but it won't last forever. So I thought, you know, how can I how can I catch this lightning in a bottle? And you know, I thought you know the way to do this is really to not just be kind of a content website that sells ads, but to have kind of a customer base that buys stuff that I sell. So I thought you know, okay, what do I what do I need to do? How can I capture these people? And that's kind of where the my idea that you know maybe I should have an email list uh, came from. And you know now that email list is over a million people, which is super exciting. So you know we had the, the kind of some of the investing content about stocks. We paired that with an email newsletter. And, you know, from there, you know, the, the idea of MarketBeat was born. Wow. A million subscribers. That is not an easy feat. And it marks for a pretty big accomplishment for Matt and his company that runs with just a handful of employees and a few contractors. And it's worth noting that most of those employees have just come in the last couple of weeks and months. So what was the eventual catalyst that got Matt to finally quit his full-time job? Certainly his web development job wasn't paying more than his side gig. Yeah, I was paying like 50, 60, something like that. I mean, it was good money for, at the time, you know, being a programmer in 2008, like, it was good money. And it's like, well, I, I can do my job and I can do this and I feel like I've got time to do both. Um, but it really wasn't until my son Michael was born. It's like, well, I've got a baby. He was born 10 weeks early. He's going to be in the NICU for the next 10 weeks. And then I'll be able to come home. And even then, it's, it's not going to be like having a normal baby. So, you know, I've, I've got that to deal with. I've got my, my day job and my business. 
and I, I just don't think I could do all three of these things moving forward. So it's, well, it's probably time to quit my day job. So with my, my, my newborn son in the NICU, uh, and I was getting health insurance from the company, I, I quit, quit the day job um, to go full-time into business before Michael was able to come home, uh, just because I knew that was the direction I had to go. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty bold decision in retrospect, but ah uh, yes, the baby thing that will change any man's perspective on life and priorities in general, and certainly mad props to Matt for finally taking that jump into self-employment and entrepreneurship at arguably one of the most vulnerable times in his life with his prematurely born son in the NICU. He quit the only stable income that he really truly had. My, uh, some people thought I, and my family thought I was not making a smart decision at the time, but I knew what the numbers were. I knew we'd be fine, and uh, I just wasn't afraid to make the leap because, I mean, it was, it was really the baby moment. It's like, all right, I've, I've got to figure out what are the priorities here. And, you know, the business that was making 120 grand was more important than the job that made 60 grand and took up a bunch of time. These stressful times in life, they can be trying for any individual in general, but how did Matt's wife think about all this? I mean, she's just had a baby, and life is pretty crazy already. She knew that I had a pretty good ability to generate income, so she you know, said, you know, as, as long as we can still live the lifestyle we live, and um, you, know, you can make a go of it, you know, I trust you to do it. So she was pretty on board with it. It was kind of surprising, but by then I'd already kind of demonstrated um, you know, our house was paid off at the time. We didn't have any debt. We had some good money in the bank, so she wasn't too worried about it. It's not just good or or great when your spouse supports you in endeavors like this, but I'd say it's arguably crucial for success, either in the business or for the future of the marriage in general. As a married man to my wife who supports me as an entrepreneur, but who is also an entrepreneur herself, we need to be on the same team just to make things work. But that doesn't mean that even with all that support and everything that comes from your spouse, that life doesn't continue to pass along these other pretty significant challenges. You know, the challenges I've had have been more, more personal than professional. Um, you know, we had two very difficult pregnancies. You know, Micah was born 10 weeks early. Addie was born six weeks early. And, you know, that just means your kid's going to live at the hospital for a couple months. And when you take him home, you can't send her to daycare and, you know, Micah came home with a heart monitor hooked up to him. That was our, that was our life for a while. And like when you, you have a, a, a kid with special needs like that, it, it really changes your priorities. So there was, I mean, thank God I worked at home, but um, it, it really, you know, made me focus on, on, on my family issues for quite a while um, at the expense of my business. And that was the right decision to make. And I would make that decision over again, but... Um, it, it really made running my business difficult for, um, you know, kind of the few months before and after each pregnancy. Since Matt is the guest this week on the podcast, I thought it only natural that this ad role would be about Matt. So as I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, Matt runs a little website. He actually created the entire website called SiouxFalls.eco. This has a ton of resources, uh, there's articles, events, and also hosts this podcast right on there. So if you go to SiouxFalls.eco, you will find all sorts of things related to local entrepreneurship. 
There's also a Facebook group called Startup Sioux Falls. If you just search for that, there are over 6,000 members where we talk about everything entrepreneurship from problems, solutions, culture, you know, referrals, recommendations. There's all sorts of things in there. So if you haven't checked those things out, Matt is behind the scenes of all of that. Now, this will air on Tuesday morning. Another thing that Matt is heavily involved in that I think is important to note is One Million Cups. So every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., a group of people in the community gather around a speaker and they listen about their business. It's a really cool format. It's a great networking event. You can ask people the, uh, the speakers questions. There's all sorts of great stuff in there. So I encourage you to show up to that some Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., just check out the Facebook page and you will see all the information about where it's being hosted and all the details about the speaker. All right, let's get back to the podcast. So Matt was sharing about his intense family challenges he was facing, and he dives a little bit deeper into what that looked like and that relationship that it really had on his business and his ability to run his business. So, so with our second uh, pregnancy, we knew it was kind of high risk. So Kareen kind of had to had to work really lightly, stay at home, um, not do a whole lot, and that just meant you know more work for me with Micah, and you know I had to be ready at a moment's notice to go to the hospital. Um, so it's like 11 p.m. one night, six weeks before she was supposed to be born. Water broke. Okay, let's go. Um, and you know, it was, I just had had to bear a lot more of the family responsibility during that time, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had to, like, not go to conferences. I had to um, really limit the amount of time and f- make sure the time I was spent working was, was as used as, as best as possible. So this is when things start to get tricky. When people are going through these really big life events and they're really stressful, just everyday decision-making in your business, it can become really difficult and really trying. So I was wondering, like, how is this really stacking up for Matt? Yeah, I was thinking about selling Market Beat when when Addie was born because uh, it was it was probably the toughest year I've ever had was uh, our pregnancy with Addie and then um, afterwards. Um, so uh, you know, it, it I didn't have as much time to to go into business. The business was flat that year, so we had doubled the business for three years. Then the revenue was flat the next year, and I thought, okay. Have I maxed out this opportunity? You know, maybe I'm out of ideas, not putting a lot of time into it. Maybe I should sell it. So I actually listed it with a, a brokerage um, called FE International. And I thought, well, if I can get four times my, my earnings, I'll sell it. Um, and thank God um, nobody offered me four times my earnings for it because the business now does three times or maybe four times the revenue it did when I was thinking about selling it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a tough year, and it was uh, – you know, I had a lot of existential questions about what I wanted to be when I grew up then, and uh, I really, really kind of got my eye off the ball um, when her daughter was born. And because um, I mean, you ha- you have, you know, Michael was was three or four at the time, and he still had therapy three, four days a week because he needed speech and physical therapy and occupational therapy and all that stuff. And now we've got another kid with the same issues, so we're taking the kids to Sanford every day, and you know that was her life. I didn't know what to say to Matt. I was completely stunned. This was just barely three years ago, and Matt had just told me that he had listed his business with a broker. But in all honesty, this happens to a lot of entrepreneurs. At some point in their business, life happens, 
And as Matt says, our eyes just come off the ball. But even if Matt had sold his company for four times his uh, worth, I think he would have bounced back and been just fine. In the early days of MarketBeat, he had already had a dozen other companies that he either sold or dissolved, but some of them were pretty decent earners. I had a lot of different kind of side internet businesses. I had a press release distribution business that I, I sold. I had, uh, I had like a website about audiobooks that I sold. I had a couple other smaller websites that I either sold or shut down. Like I, I had a, a service called WP Mechanic that would optimize people's slow WordPress sites. And it was a, a neat little business, but it just became a distraction from MarketBeat. So over kind of between 2013 and 2015, um, I just sold or shut down or got rid of everything that was a market beat to kind of focus solely on, on the breadwinner business, which was, you know, market beat, obviously. And by putting all my time and effort and energy into this one thing, you know, the business, it, it, we, we doubled revenue every year for three consecutive years uh, as I was able to finally focus in on the one thing that made our company, you know, or the one company that was kind of going to go the distance for me. Some of a lot of them were five to ten grand a month businesses, so um, you know good compared money, nonetheless. good money, but you know not um, not compared to market beat. It was you know, small potatoes. Um, the, the the business that did the best was probably the press release business called Lightning Releases. So I, I got that one up to about two hundred fifty thousand a year, and it was a great business. You know we would uh, um, do marketing, and the way we did marketing is we'd whenever somebody does a press release they have a contact info so we would basically spam people and say hey whenever you want to do your next press release we've got a deal for you um, so we'd send people to our website and they would submit their press release to us instead of the other guy and that worked really well for quite a, quite a long time but um, we just ultimately kind of decided that was, wasn't a customer base we wanted to work with there's a lot of small businesses that were kind of expecting something a press release couldn't do so ultimately we sold that business and uh, to another company and just kind of focused on, in on market beat. Well, this conversation with Matt has never ceased to amaze me. I've known Matt for a few years now, but so much of our conversation has always revolved around my entrepreneurial journey. And that's really a testament to Matt and who he is. He's an incredibly giving person, not just financially, although he is very much that, but he gives his time, he gives his advice and his energy and his thoughts on business, and he does so free of charge. I mean, just look at all the things that he does in our community alone regarding entrepreneurship. If Matt thinks an idea or a concept is interesting and he thinks that he can add value, he's happy to share his time with others. Now, with all the wealth that MarketBeat had helped Matt accumulate and the fact that his website was is basically a stock market blog, albeit it's a really advanced and knowledgeable blog, but I was curious how Matt was at investing. I mean, he must be like a trading guru, right? Yeah, so what I can invest in is a lot more limited than what most people can invest in. Um, so I can't really own individual stocks because of the business that I run. I mean, I could, but it would open myself up to a lot of liability. Because if I report something wrong about a stock and then I own that stock, the SECs think I'm, gonna, I'm manipulating the market for my own gain. Uh, so there was one issue where um, one of our data sources got like earnings information for Bank of America wrong. And you know it came from a pretty reputable source, so we published it. The information was just flat out wrong, wrong date, wrong numbers, wrong everything. So then I, I got a phone call from the SEC saying, hey, we want to talk to you. Like, oh crap, what did I do? 
So then they, they talked about this and I said, well, this is where we got the data from. And he's like, okay, that's fine, but we need to check your brokerage account to make sure you're not manipulating the market. So he's like, thank God I don't own any Bank of America stock. And I just sold all my stocks then. It's like, well, I own mutual funds because I can do that and then I can't get in trouble that way. So, you know, most of my portfolio is, you know, it's about 90% kind of a standard asset allocation with, you know, stocks and bonds and real estate and all that stuff. And about 10% of it goes into kind of the angel investing stuff um, in private equity where I'm writing twenty to $50,000 checks for startup companies where, you know, I want to, want to take, a, take a risk on, you know, whoever. Um, you know, I've done a lot of kind of late stage pre-IPO investments. So like right before Lyft went public, probably about six months, I was able to buy some shares pre-IPO and, you know, made a healthy return on them. Same for Dollar Shave Club right before it got acquired. And I kind of feel like for private equity, angel stuff, that's really a sweet spot because there's always somebody that wants to cash out before the IPO that doesn't really want to wait to get their money. And, you know, that's kind of a good time for me to buy in and, you know, sometimes get a double or a triple on my money um, in a year to two years. That had to have made for a really interesting phone call when the SEC is calling about market manipulation. Now, thankfully, Matt was in the clear, and he never did get a call back from them. But he does bring up another thing that Matt has done in our entrepreneurial community, and that's his Falls Angel Fund. It's him and a group of, uh, I can't remember how many investors, but uh, they all pool together some money, uh, and they invest in these startup stage type of businesses that are more local to Sioux Falls and just our region in general. Now, Matt got started in the entrepreneur scene about 2014, and to say that he's been influential, well, that would be a huge understatement as to what Matt's done. He's traveled all over the country, and he's went to conferences about entrepreneurship and building business. He's seen the the startup scenes and the startup ecosystems all over the place. So I asked Matt, what's missing in Sioux Falls? My buddy Andy has said something that, that really resonated with me recently, and it was that that the trellis is stronger than the vine um, in the startup community. That means like the structure and the ecosystem is is stronger than like the startups that we have. Um, so we have really good ecosystem organizations that are all here to help startups, but like we don't have enough startups. We there's just not enough people looking to start scalable businesses in Sioux Falls, and you know part of that is that we don't have a big university base to kind of feed off of. You know, we don't have any we don't have a ton of tech companies here like we don't have Microsoft like Fargo does and um, we don't have some of those things that would naturally incline somebody toward like a technology startup um, so that, that that's always going to hold us back a little bit um, so I'm, I'm trying to think you know how can we kind of refocus these organizations to make them help more small businesses like we've got plenty of plenty of small businesses in town I mean you and your wife run one and we've got lots of uh, companies that are getting up and going, but they might just not meet the technical, you know, definition of a quote startup. I quote so, um, like your like people will see me um, in the future. Like I'm going to use the word small business a lot more than I'm going to use the word startup. So even if you look at startup Sioux Falls, um, you'll see a lot of small business language on there because people that are small business owners sometimes don't identify themselves as like a startup founder or an entrepreneur. But, um, you know, using kind of more broad language just to say, hey, you know, you guys are part of this community, too. I want to make sure you're involved. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to be more careful about the language I use and saying, how can I help kind of a wider variety of, of business owners? 
There it is again. There's Matt talking about how he can help. And he's not just talking about how he can help uh, scalable startups or large business. He's talking about helping all businesses in our area. But what he says about our ecosystem is interesting, that we're missing more startups. And we're talking about the large scalable startups. We're just missing those, those large tech companies or you know those big idea moments that are going to generate a lot of uh, in- annual revenue and employ a lot of people. But as we wrap up this episode, I did want to share a final snippet from Matt, and that's his advice to all entrepreneurs. Now, this is something that I was kind of surprised about what he shared, because it's not something that all of us are really going to want to hear, but it is a pretty important one. You really have to put 40 hours a week into your business, and that's like 40 hours legit work. It's like not not reading business books or listening to podcasts. It's 40 hours of like product development and sales and marketing. Too many people kind of do it half-heartedly, and then they just aren't successful, and it's like, oh, well, I tried, didn't go anywhere, oh well. Um, but you really have to put the time in. It's it's not something you can do 10 hours a week. It's It's got to be your full-time focus, and it's got to be like a legit full-time focus. It's not that you're not doing anything else and you're working on your business 20 hours a week. It's You really got to put the time in. You really have to do it full-time, full-time, and not like full-time at the office where you're looking at YouTube for two hours in the afternoon. Like That doesn't count. Um, you gotta, gotta do it. Matt sounds like he works for Nike at the end of that statement. You gotta just do it. But seriously, this is good, solid advice. And I'm guilty of, quote, working on my business, unquote, by watching YouTube and listening to podcasts or reading books. Now, these aren't bad things. Matt's actually an author of a couple of really good books, and he's an avid reader and an avid podcast listener. But those things, as he says, they don't necessarily count to the daily growth of doing things in your business. Developing strategy to grow and making product, etc. It's just really good insight from someone with some really good experience. Matt's story just reeks of success and challenges. And I love that he shares his mindset as he struggles through all of these things. Now, Matt has a lot of ways to connect with him. You can find him through his personal website, which is mattpaulson.com. I'll make sure to throw a link in the show notes. Uh, you can see what he's up to through the Facebook group, Startup Sioux Falls. Uh, it's the entrepreneur group that I mentioned. And of course, uh, you can learn more about the startup community through the website that he built and currently runs, which is siouxfalls.eco. I mentioned that in the uh, beginning of the episode. It's also the place where this podcast is hosted. So if you want to just see more about what's going on and see the show notes, you can visit siouxfalls.eco slash podcast. Now, there's also a good chance that you can find Matt uh, drinking coffee and networking and hanging out with some friends at Queen City Bakery in downtown Sioux Falls. And finally, a big thank you as we wrap this episode for Matt Uh, who is sponsoring this entire podcast. It honestly, it wouldn't be possible for me to do season two and to be planning season three if it weren't for Matt and his financial backing to produce this content. If you ever see Matt out and about, make sure you say hi and thank him for all that he does for the community. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.